Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tiny DevOps, where we talk about dev and ops and all other sorts of related things for small companies and small teams. Today, I have with me one of the smallest DevOps teams you'll ever meet, <laughs> Jillian Rowe. Jillian, thank you for coming on. Um, you are technically the smallest team possible, or maybe even smaller. Can you can you be a team if you're only one? I'm not sure. I like to think that I am. So I'm okay. like I'm gonna go with that. I feel like it has that kind of superhero feel that I like when yeah. I'm sitting and crunching at my computer alone. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with that. Okay. So we have today a team of one, which which sounds like a US Army slogan or something, I, I think, but um we're gonna do a DevOps version of it today. Uh, Jillian, wh why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us uh, about what you do and who you are and what your one-person team does. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, like you said, I'm Jillian. I've been in sort of the, the DevOps computing tech space, um, mostly in sort of the data science realm for over 15 years now. I started off in computational neuroscience, and then I wound up switching to bioinformatics. I actually started off my tech career more as a data analyst. And over time, I found that the labs were doing things. And I was like, why Like, why are we doing these things manually? Surely a computer must be able to do this for us. Um, and I think part of that was kind of lent by my background in computational neuroscience, where we built robots and cool things like that. So I kind of already had a feel for automating a bit. And uh, so I spent a couple of years kind of developing my software engineering skills and also my DevOps skills by just running around and asking the labs, like, what are you doing? How can I help you? How can we automate this? And I just sort of kept on with that. And I sort of gradually got introduced to DevOps, mostly because uh, when you work in data science, you are generally working with some kind of big data, or at least I am. And in bioinformatics, the data is quite big. It is generally much larger than something that a scientist can process or on their own laptop, um, which often meant that they would have this development cycle of, you know, they would have their data, they would uh, start analyzing their data, maybe they would start on their laptop or on a lab server, and they would, they would you know, just analyze like a small subset of their data or uh, usually create their analysis and do that on a small subset of their data. And then over time, they were like, okay, now we have to analyze all the data. What do we do? And the answer to that is, I would say, now you would say it's DevOps. It's, uh, it was HPC then, high-performance computing. And it's still high-performance computing. But it's a very kind of different way, I think, than most people think of sort of doing data analysis. Because you have to have a knowledge of the underlying tech infrastructure in order to be able to do HPC. You have to know um, how many nodes do I need if you need to do something like MPI. You need to have at least a general idea of how many uh, CPUs and memory you need. You need to sort of know how the cluster itself is configured because every HPC cluster is a beautiful and unique snowflake and you have to go get in good with the HPC admins to understand how to actually get like your jobs, you know, pushed through the queue. It's also a multi-user environment. So you have to, you know, kind of play nice with the other children on the playground. Sometimes you have to log in and be like, oh, this queue is, you know, full. So maybe I'll just go use this other queue and, Maybe my job will take a bit longer, but um, it would never finish if I put it, you know, if I put it on this big queue. So that was, uh, you know, I, I spent a long time doing that. I spent about 10 years just sort of being very much in academic research, bioinformatics, genomics, that kind of thing. 
And then in the last few years, I went out on my own as an independent consultant. Um, I guess I started that around two and a half, three years ago. And so that that's what brings me to my I am a DevOps team of one. Although, I mean, I suppose most of the time I'm working on quite collaborative projects um, where I'm working with like a team of sort of interdisciplinary folks. Sometimes I'm working with people more on the science realm. Um, you know, sometimes I'm working with doctors or clinicians who don't have anything to do with computing. And sometimes I'm working more with software DevOps teams. Nice introduction. Uh, Thank you, you threw out some words that that I am not familiar with. And so I'm going to assume that my audience is not familiar with them either. So this is the part where I get to play a stupid host and just pretend like I don't know anything. And I, I feel like I just That's watched an episode of- That's the job anyways. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I just watched an episode of Star Trek where they just threw all this gobbledygook techno babble at me. I'm like, uh, it sounds cool, but what does it mean? So could you explain what is bioinformatics and, and what are what is genomics so for, for a five-year-old? For a five-year-old. Ah, for a five-year-old. Okay. So uh, biology, I would suppose you could say, is the study of life. Mm -hmm. And bioinformatics is the study of life where we take uh, sort of life and try to compute it down into data. And then we study that data with the computer. So there are a lot of different ways to study biology. You could be, uh, you know, like what I wanted to be as a little girl, where you're Jane Goodall out, you know, like studying the chimps and things and that's really cool you can be out in the field you know finding new species of lizards or what have you uh, or you could go and you could get data and you can use a computer to sort of compile that down to a bunch of numbers or letters and then analyze it so genomics is specifically the study of dna so genomics the study of dna and then bioinformatics is that like information about things at the cellular level or is it like higher level like how many how many apes are at least this tall and how many are, are shorter? Or, or is it all of the above? It can be all of the above. Bioinformatics is pretty darn broad. I mean, I would say within bioinformatics, you have, you know, so many multi um, kind of disciplines you have. So I would say genomics is sort of a, a topic within bioinformatics. You can study cells, you can study DNA, um, you can study like even you know, molecular structures like proteins and uh, mRNA. So, if, you know, for those of you who follow along with the COVID news, one of the uh, ways to combat COVID is the vaccine. And the vaccine is made from mRNA, which is, it's, it's kind of, for the purposes of this conversation, it's very much like DNA. Okay. So bioinformatics, what we're going to simplify, it's data about life. Is that is that a fair simplification? Yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Today? Okay. And then you also talk about big data. And of course, we, I, I imagine everybody's heard the term, but it's kind, of a, it's, it's kind of like the term DevOps. It's a little bit fuzzy, I think. W what does big data mean maybe to you or to your business? Uh, I would say big data is on the order of terabytes of data that need to, they need to be processed and need to be analyzed. So there are a lot of sort of, you know, like the things that go into when you're analyzing large amounts of data, you have to... Um, you know, from the DevOps perspective, you have to take care of the data access, especially if you're dealing with medical data. We have this compliance called HIPAA compliance that we must all know and love. And, um, you know, if you work in like a, a medical environment, even if you have nothing to do with data, you still have to get certified in the in HIPAA compliance. So, you know, so one, you have to take care of the data access Two, you have to take care of where is the data going to be stored? Um, what is kind of the redundancy that we need? If it's raw data, it tends to be quite a lot because you you cannot generally you know, create this data again, say if it's like, you know, if it's like from a person and maybe you collected blood or something like that, um, and then you sequence their DNA, you can't always get that back. 
So you need to back that up. You need to perhaps have some kind of redundancy, maybe have several backups, throw it on an archive, throw it other places. Uh, you may need to version your data as well. And that tends to be a very tricky problem because as of now, there are no especially good cost-effective ways of uh, versioning very large data sets. So say you're on the order of like terabytes of data. So that's an interesting problem that I think we're all just kind of, you know, figuring out as we go along. You also need to consider that you're running your data through an analysis. And so then you have to consider the fact that, uh, you know, analysis is not a static thing. It's not like you run an analysis and you're like, okay, we're good. Like, you know, like, let's go. Oftentimes, uh, you know, there's, it's like software, there's updates to the tool sets, to the analysis chains. And so you need to like version your data in relation to the version of the analysis that you're running. And sometimes, you know, you get these like, almost like crazy build matrices of uh, different analyses that you could be running. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that goes into specifically when you're considering, I suppose, data and data analysis, as opposed to just kind of like your more typical DevOps information where you really have to consider, we have data, what is this, like, what is the purpose of this data? What is this data being used for? What kind of data are you dealing with on a daily basis? Uh, I kind of, I dabble in quite a bit. For the most part, I deal with what is called clinical genomics data and mostly human clinical genomics data. So um, typically this means something like I'll work on a research study where uh, let's say, you know, there's a principal investigator who's like, you know, like a kind of head researcher who can command some kind of budget and whatnot who says, um, I want to study diabetes. So my name is on some paper for some diabetes studies. And they say, okay, I want to study diabetes. So they go out and they collect all kinds of data from both uh, diabetic you know, patients and also not diabetic patients so that you have a control because in science, um, you always have to have this idea of like sort of like the null factor so that we have this sort of baseline comparison, which if you're studying diseases is people with the disease, people who don't have the disease and you compare them. So you can have uh, quite a lot of different types of data when it comes to clinical genomics. You can have the genomics, which is DNA, and that's um, a fairly simple, I suppose, chemical structure that then for the intents and purposes of a computer basically gets compiled down to a string comparison problem. When you have your DNA uh, and you look at it like on a computer, it, look, it looks like a big string. It's like ATCG, ATCG, like that. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, just regular genomics data. You can also, you know, populate all other kinds of data. You can get what's called metabolomics, which is, um, you know, so like if, if you eat something, you have enzymes that break down your food. And, you know, specifically if you have diabetes, uh, diabetes affects your blood sugar. So, you know, the, the specific, I suppose, biological processes that are supposed to happen in somebody without diabetes, um, you know, don't happen in somebody with diabetes. So it's always very important to understand like, okay, what are the differences? Where is this actually breaking down? Uh, and, you know, we know at this point that it breaks down in insulin production, but, you know, can we, can we get better at that? There's quite a lot being done lately and it's a very new field. So I don't have a whole lot to say about it besides it's cool. And this idea of synthetic biology, which is like, okay, so we know that for example, in diabetics, the, the pipeline for, uh, you know, insulin production is messed up can't we just kind of make some biology, like little, like, you know, teensy tiny uh, biology bots and just stick them in people and have, you know, that kind of fix, you know, fix things. Um, so that's kind of a new area of research that I just find to be really interesting. If you ever want to go look it up, uh, there's, what is it? I think there's a publication I really like. I think it's called Science Daily, and it does quite a good job of explaining just sort of like 
science news in a in a very accessible fashion, even if you're not, you know, necessarily a biologist. Uh, explain a little bit more detail what your business does or what you as a business does with this data and, and how you help your your clients. Uh, oh, sure. Do so this what stuff. I do is I go and uh, I primarily work with biotech startups and quite often I'm helping them from the ground up where, uh, you know, they need to get their cloud infrastructure off the ground. And if you have data scientists, uh, typically you are, you know, or bioinformatics, let's say, which is, I suppose, a particular data scientist within the realm of bioinformatics, you're typically paying them a lot of money to analyze data and, you know, uh, like give insights into this data and be scientists, essentially scientists on a computer, but scientists. So you don't really want them to go and be screwing around in the AWS console. Uh, you know, I would kind of argue that you don't really anybody, you don't really want anybody to go and be screwing around in the AWS console. But, you know, but especially you don't want the people that you're paying lots of money to cure diabetes or cancer or whatnot to do that. And, uh, you know, so one issue with getting started with AWS is that if you don't have these kind of DevOps skills, it can be quite difficult to get started and it can be quite difficult to put into place a really standard infrastructure that's highly scalable. So quite often what I do is I sit down and I talk with them and we decide what they're, um, what kind of analysis that they're doing, first of all. And then, you know, the types of problems that they're trying to solve and maybe the tool sets or analyses that they're trying to build out. And we work from there to decide on their compute infrastructure. So I take a very science first approach, which I think is refreshing for a lot of my clients because they tend to go talk to, you know, sometimes they go talk to IT people and IT or DevOps people will start from like, the bottom down, like, what kind of network do you need? And like, they're scientists, they don't know, and they don't care. It's, you know, uh, my goal is that I want to be able to build out all this science infrastructure. And that the fact that there is a cluster and network is basically like an afterthought to the scientists, you know, and they can focus on, I'm doing this analysis, this is what I want to do, this is the problem that I want to solve. And like, yeah, there's some computers and they're running there in the background, but like, they're just kind of there. And I, you know, and it's really just an afterthought. So that is really, uh, you know, like my my goal and my I suppose my goal for my clients and for my business. And uh, to that end, actually, I'm working on a project now, which is called BioAnalyze. And what I am doing is I am um, creating. I mean, I'm supposed I'm starting it from the ground up, which is a bit counterintuitive based on what I just said. But right now, I am open sourcing a whole bunch of Terraform modules. Uh, what have I got now? I've got AWS Batch, which is like the AWS uh, version of high performance computing. And then I've got sort of a traditional HPC, which is, you know, if you come from academia, that's probably what you're more used to. And uh, also Kubernetes and Kubernetes specifically managed with Rancher. And uh, so what I'm doing is I'm open sourcing all of these and the software itself is going to be completely free, completely open source. There's not going to be anything behind a paywall. Uh, I'm hoping to go kind of like a crowdsourcing route or working at least with enough scientists that they're like, I don't want to press that button. I want to pay you to press that button, that it will, you know, that it will still be profitable for me and I will stay in business and feed my children and all these, you know, kind of things that I need to be doing on a day to day basis. But um, because, you know, I am essentially a team of one, although I have recently started to work with a couple of contractors just to help me out with some, you know, like QA and things like that, uh, you know, I have to be very, very I suppose, careful and strategic about the kind of work that I take on. Um, and, you know, and also like what I'm going to, what I'm going to sort of release out into the wild because I want for it to have a reasonable degree of support behind it, I suppose. 
so that's that's really where I'm at right now. That's really the headspace where I'm at is like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to take these modules, uh, the infrastructure modules that I just talked about, I want to release them. And then essentially what I want to do is build out a layer or two layers on top of that, where the bottom layer is infrastructure. Um, the next layer up from that is like applications. So for a DevOps person, that would be, you know, like Helm charts and uh, maybe like, you know, sort of deploying things through SSH and stuff like that. And then the final layer on top of that is what I'm, I think I've decided on cloud labs. I've changed it a few times, so, you know, it, it'll be something, but the idea is this is really where the science based approach comes in. So I want to talk to scientists and be like, you, you're doing clinical genomics. Here's a cloud lab that allows you to do clinical genomics. And essentially they, you know, they'll be faced with a web interface and they can go and be like, you know, I want um, I want this software for genomics and this software for genomics and this other one for genomics. And, you know, and then again, they will have to make at least a few decisions on um, compute infrastructure, you know, namely things like uh, the minimum and the maximum in terms of their auto scaling so that they are not very surprised by a bill is mostly why that's in there. But, um, but yeah, but at the end of the day, what I really want is to have a really intuitive framework for bioinformaticians to be able to deploy high performance compute infrastructure on the cloud to do, you know, to do their analyses and do cool science. Great. What well, one other term you mentioned that would be useful, I think, to clarify is high performance computing, because uh, I'm not a data scientist. And I have, to me, that just sounds like fast computers. Can, can you explain what that actually means? Uh, so high performance computing is when you throw um, a bunch of computers together. And then you throw a layer on top of that, which is an HPC scheduler. So essentially what happens is that you have, uh, you know, your users who are probably scientists, they go, they log into like a login node or a head node, and they say, I want to run this job. And they request um, however many nodes they need or how much memory, how much CPU. You can also do like kind of create groups of these things with what are called queues. But pretty much it's a cluster. It's all a bunch of bash and SSH and, you know, networked file storage as far as I'm concerned. So if you've ever worked with a Kubernetes cluster, you know, or I mean, really any kind of cluster, Fargate, Kubernetes, um, Swarm, any of these, they all operate in quite a similar capacity. You have computers, you're stringing them together, and you have some kind of layer on top that makes them all communicate. So you're, you're, you have this three-layered, three-tiered approach that you're working on. Um, and, and what are the struggles you're, you're facing right now? You, you mentioned that you've, you've hired uh, some, I'm assuming, freelancers to help with QA and stuff like that. Uh, so you're not truly a 100% solo operator, um, but you're the- Not anymore, no. Not anymore. No. <laughs> so so, so what, are you, what are you working on lately? What's, what's the challenge that you're, you're addressing, say, in the last week or two uh, on, on this front? So my main focus for the last, um, well, for like the last couple months has been to uh, really kind of clamp down on, you know, the, the specific infrastructure and modules that I'm going to be supporting. I used to have a couple more thrown into that list. And I just realized being a team of one, I can't I can't support all these things. There's only so much me. I also tend to be very, like, highly optimistic on how much time it's going to take me to do something, which I think is good in one way, because I'm like, at least I'll get started. And then once I get started, I'm motivated. But then, you know, I get started and I'm like, oh, this is going to take me like 10 times as long as I thought that it would, uh, you know, which I think is maybe a little bit typical for people in tech. But um, mm -hmm. but I feel like maybe I'm especially bad about that. So I so, yeah, so I've really just been thinking a lot about what can I do to kind of shave off 
um, you know, work from me specifically. And, you know, to that effect, what I'm doing is uh, just getting rid of some of the modules that I previously had, uh, hiring some people at least to do QA. So, for example, I have uh, an AWS batch Terraform recipe out. It's on the BioAnalyze GitHub repository. And, you know, getting, well, for that one, I wrote all the tests and things as an example just to show, like, okay, this is kind of, you know, like how I want it structured. And now I'm working with um, an agency from Upwork to go and, you know, actually kind of emulate some of the other um, some of the other modules that I have and use kind of the same, I suppose, the same structure for testing. Uh, you know, so to that end, one thing that I'm really interested in is this sort of evolution where every like all software or all tech is an API that you talk to. And then you can go and you can compile these APIs to like different programming languages. So kind of probably the best example for that uh, for your audience is the Kubernetes API actually is an open API spec. So you can go and you can take that open API spec and you can use the open API generator and then you can, I don't know if it's compile or transpile or whatever it is, but essentially it builds out uh, like a library in your language of choice. For me, that's Python because, you know, data science, Python, that tends to be where I'm at. So, uh, you know, so I'm really liking this kind of way of doing things and I'm really kind of trying to really hone in on tools that take that approach because I've just found that, you know, that really takes away from or that really lessens like my own development time, especially for me. I used to do a lot more software engineering, but I just, you know, I think since I've gotten more into DevOps, I just really don't have the time for it. I don't have the time to keep up on whatever is the newest hotness and whether or not we've like, you know, in Python, there was this whole thing like replacing the print function with, you know, or replacing print with a function with parentheses. And if you're not in that headspace every day, you're just like, what is this? And you, you know, you don't even care. Um, so I'm, you know, so I'm really kind of looking for ways that I can kind of consolidate and uh, lessen the amount of work on myself for different tech stacks. And then, you know, I know this is a DevOps show, but I'm also doing at least a little bit of web development, uh, you know, for this for this product that I'm creating called BioAnalyze. And that's been kind of difficult for me because web development is not my wheelhouse. I've learned JavaScript several times and every time I go look at it, like it's completely different, you know, so JavaScript, like what's, what's happening JavaScript community? What, you know, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, but I recently, you know, found out that there are some really nice frameworks that just kind of take away a lot of this sort of thing. So one is called Strappy, which is a headless CMS. And I started actually doing all my kind of, I mean, data modeling might be a strong term, but like it's me. So we're going to call it data modeling using Strapi. And I found that was just a really nice, quick, iterative way of um, of doing this data modeling and creating these APIs. And it really lent itself very, very well to using this kind of like layered approach. And then, you know, just to kind of backtrack on that, I think the layered approach is so important because I think sometimes as tech people, we get a bit lost in like the tech and optimizing for the tech as opposed to optimizing for the people or for the purpose. And that's something I've always like, uh, I mean, that's kind of made my career is the fact that, you know, I'm able to go focus on this and I'm able not to just talk to the, to the IT people and the DevOps people, but, you know, also the people who are using it, the scientists. And I've heard from a lot of scientists that, you know, like they really appreciate that because they feel like when they're talking to, um, you know, to, to tech people that sometimes there's just this really big disconnect between what they want and between like between what they want to optimize for and between what the tech people want to optimize for. 
that that's so so important. I just want to I want to dwell on that for just a second. The the fact that you can bridge that gap between tech and and your version of business. I mean, business is a broad topic too, but you're dealing specifically with with researchers and doctors. That's that's your area of business. That's a superpower. If you can if you can write code or or do DevOps and also talk to normal quote normal people. You will go places. So, if you're listening and you're you're struggling, what what framework should you learn next? Probably none. Learn how to talk to business people. <laughs> yeah, That's learn gonna... how to write. Learn how to communicate. Um, yeah, I do some mentoring for students at Stemaway, and I am like constantly on their cases. You know, like take a step back, sit down, um, learn one of these like documentation frameworks or static site generators or whatever. Mostly because I just feel like they're the easiest thing to get started with. Not because I think learning that tech stack is important, but because of the communication skills that it teaches you. Like sit down, do something, um, you know, write about it, present, and then go like present it to somebody who is actually knowledgeable about that topic and actually like cares about this thing or this type of analysis that you're doing. It's mostly data science. So for them, it's analyses. Um, and again, it's not important because, you know, Markdown versus RST versus R Markdown versus like whatever else is going on there. It's important mm -hmm. because of the because of the communication skills and because of, you know, again, being able to sit there and talk and talk to, you know, the quote unquote regular people. So you you have this three tiered um, open source model you're working on, but you also have clients you're working with on a daily basis. Is that correct? Yes. What's the over what's the overlap or, or is there any right now? Uh, over time, there's been more and more overlap. So I think, you know, like a lot of people, I started my business and it, it kind of took me a while to sort of find my stride and find my niche. Initially, I was doing a lot of software and doing a lot of LIMS. And I still do some. Uh, LIMS is Laboratory Information Management System. And, um, you know, essentially, it's like, uh, let's track what's going on in the lab, what's going on with analyses. It's supposed to be sort of a like a dashboard interface into any given time, like what's what's happening here. So I was developing a lot of those. Um, that's, you know, and I still enjoy that, but I found as a business, it's quite difficult to do because it's, it's very difficult to scale like custom software and there's just not a lot of overlap. So I felt like I wasn't really, you know, creating like assets for, you know, for myself and for my business. And I was sort of interested in that idea. Um, but at the same time, I was also doing a lot of this, like building up, HPC kind of infrastructure. And I found that was much more reusable because I would start building out, you know, and I mean, initially it was just using things like cookie cutter, which is um, this really great pa Python package that essentially you just create like templates and you can create like templates of templates and then you hand cookie cutter a JSON file and then it fills in your template based on the JSON file. So you can, you know, you can just do cool things with that. So, you know, so initially it was like just very, you know, like, like very like kind of quick and dirty templates and over time they've sort of uh, become more and more polished and you know now they're being open sourced as a part of BioAnalyze. Uh, these days I am, I mean I still do a little bit of custom software. There are you know still some things that I still really enjoy. Um, I still really enjoy for example talking to you know to scientists and a lot of times they will really specifically need some kind of like interfaces to their data as well you know, and specifically to interfaces to their data on an HPC. So I still do work uh, quite a bit on those kinds of problems. But I would say, you know, I mean, on a day to day basis, maybe around like 70 to 80 percent is really just 
a high performance compute infrastructure on AWS uh, for bioinformatics applications. So there, there is quite a lot of overlap. Um, I'm also very lucky that, you know, in science and research and most of my clients are very happy to have their sort of, you know, work contributed back to, uh, to open source. And that's been kind of a, um, a business, I, I don't know if business model is the right word, but we'll go with that business model that I've sort of adopted where essentially I have it like right in my contracts. I'm like, there's no intellectual property. Everything is open sourced. You get, you know, you get all the code with an Apache 2 license. Additionally, a cluster is a cluster. You know, there's no intellectual property and a Kubernetes or a Slurm cluster as far as I am concerned. Um, so a lot of the kind of, you know, bits and pieces are based on this open source work that I have over here. And I found, uh, you know, in, in terms of a freelancer, that's that's been really great because I know uh, some of my clients have specifically come to me after getting burned by other software companies on on, you know, this like kind of intellectual property deal. So. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to be in research, I guess, because overall people are very open and uh, most of them are fine with, you know, are, are very like. Cool, open source, great. And if they're not, I've kind of just gotten to the point where we just kind of have to go our separate ways and they can try to find a lawyer who will say that a cluster is intellectual property or something. Like, I don't even know. I just try to stay far, far away from that. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about here before we start the sign-off process? Um, I did just kind of want to reiterate this point of if you're a team of one or, you know, or a small team, just try to like really, really sit down and think about you know, like where you're going to be spending your time and where you should be spending your time. And uh, I would say like now software is just getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which kind of goes back to my point of like nobody, nobody's trying to make money from software anymore because there's just like no intellectual property in it. it seems like the intellectual property these days, no matter what your industry is in, is almost entirely in the data. Um, you know, so for example, for myself, I'm starting to look at solutions, uh, even paid solutions for being able to build out web forms because again, so, you know, just, so for example, with me, you know, I, I do have to build out these sort of web forms and web interfaces, uh, but I don't really have enough time to keep on, to keep up on what I consider to be modern web development. So I, I haven't come to like any exact solutions yet, but I am looking at solutions like uh, Typeform, for example, has you know, a whole developer API behind it that you can actually, that you can use to create these very, you know, integrative forms and you can have like skip logic, like if yes to this, go here, go do this, go do that, which I, you know, personally not being a web developer, I find to be quite difficult. And their most like expensive plan is like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. Um, you know, and, and there are tiers before that that you could probably use. And, uh, you know, again, as just being like one person, I have to really sit down and think about, okay, if this is something that I'm going to do, how can I like, first of all, you know, kind of like de-risk it as much as possible. I don't want for some, you know, like say I'm using like React or JavaScript or something like that. I don't want for some library to go out of date or, you know, or have some kind of API breaking changes and all of a sudden nothing is working for any of my clients. Um, so that's a really big concern for me, especially since it's not like it's not the area that I'm focused on and it's not the area where I want to be spending most of my time. So, you know, so how can I think about those kinds of problems? And maybe for other people, it's different kind of problems. For me, it's web forms like web forms. They've been getting me for years. So, you know, like just how can you think about these kind of things and how can you make these sort of decisions to kind of, um, you know, to, to outsource a lot of that work? I use Strapi as an example before. Um, 
and you know and I like strappy because not because I care so much about the technology but because it's just I find it this very intuitive way to build data models somebody else is managing it and then you do get an open API spec and then I can take that open API spec create a python library from that and it's got you know like types and tests and just you know like it's just it's got like a ton of kind of QC already built into it that I'm getting out of the box um, because I'm using Strapi. Strapi is a, I think it has an open source version and then you can also like pay for some additional features and things like that. So again, just kind of, you know, think about these things, make these sort of, you know, decisions. I think um, sometimes it's really easy to have this knee jerk, like I'm not paying for that. You know, like I looked at, um, like when I looked at Typeform, I was like a hundred bucks a month, you know, like, ah. And then I was like, well, geez, how much is a web developer going to cost me? How much is my time worth? You know, like, mm -hmm. Uh, just like for me personally, like, you know, how how much is my time worth for me to go out and get another client um, specifically, you know, because I'm talking to scientists, they don't care about the tech behind it. And they would they would prefer like if they could have no tech behind their solution, they would probably choose that. So, you know, making sure that I'm kind of in line with all those philosophies. And yeah, I'm just I'm just still kind of in that headspace. I don't have any definite answers except just, you know, sit down, think about things, see what else is out there see you know what else other people are doing do you have anything like a rule of thumb to help you decide when you should do something versus when you should hire someone to do something versus when you should outsource it if it's your main focus um so for me if it's my main focus i keep it in-house so for example with bioanalyze i would say the main focus is are these tech stacks where it's the um the aws flavor of hpc kubernetes uh, being able to deploy, and I, I use Rancher to kind of manage the Kubernetes, which which is another thing. So I'm using, well, I'm using the open source version of Rancher, but I'm using Rancher to kind of manage all that. And then that gets me my, you know, Grafana and logging and all these kind of things. I'm not doing any of that from scratch. The people at Rancher are much smarter and have already done a much better job of it. Um, yeah, so that kind of thing I'm keeping in-house. But anything that I kind of consider that's not like really, I suppose, my area of expertise or something I just don't feel like I have time to keep up on. Um, I'm very quickly kind of learning the value of outsourcing it. So for me, you know, I keep hammering on this web development, but like really web development is not my wheelhouse. I'm going to outsource that as much as I possibly can. I do the same for my own website. I mean, I, I, I use a static site generator uh, called Hugo. Uh, and I do most of my own web development, but when it comes to like design and layout and CSS, I'm lost. And I, I have I have a freelancer who I hire to do that for me. Um, so I, I, it's it came down to the question of could I teach myself CSS? Yes, I definitely could learn enough to do this. Is it worth my time? No, it, it's really not. I'd rather pay somebody even even my own whatever my hourly rate is. If I could pay them that or double that, it would still come out ahead versus the investment it would take to to get to a competent level. So. Yeah, oh, that's good. I don't even do that. My business websites are all in Kajabi and even um, I'm starting up like a discourse forum for bioanalyze. And I was like, this is kind of silly. I know I could manage my own discourse um, deployment. And I was like, oh, I just don't want to. I'll just, you know, I'll pay the yeah. discourse people a hundred bucks a month to manage it for me. And, and they do quite a good job. I'm, I'm very happy with you discourse people. Um, but yeah, again, like just these, these kind of things where, again, you think about like, you know, like, like how much is my time worth? How much can I outsource this for? And it just becomes a math problem. Uh, you know, like, is this worth it? Yes or no. Also, maybe if you could, uh, you know, it's not always possible for people who are 
you know, working jobs because other people are setting the priorities. But if you can, you know, just get rid of stuff, like even just think about, do I even need this? Like my favorite thing to do when I'm writing software is like delete code. (laughs) You know, it's the most satisfying (laughs) thing to do. So what, uh, what code can you delete? What services can you, you know, can you destroy? Thanks for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to add before, before we, uh, do contact details? Uh, you know, so for my shameless self-promotion, uh, I have, you know, bioanalyze, which I've been talking about. It is on GitHub, uh, dabble of DevOps bioanalyze. If, if you just go look for that, or maybe it will be linked in the show notes. Um, you know, I'm always looking for shares and stars and people to get the word out. It is mostly focused on bioinformatics, but I am hoping to, you know, eventually be able to go and uh, expand it, you know, maybe get in some computational neuroscience or some proteomics or um, climatology projects, maybe go work with the folks at Pangeo and, or NVIDIA or something and, you know, and see what's happening. So if you are interested in kind of DevOps for the data science space, go look over there. Um, I'm on kind of all the social media places. If you're interested in keeping up with that kind of news, even if you don't even care so much about the data science, but you just care about, you know, the Kubernetes and modules and things like that, I do have those. You can go grab them. Um, like everything is sort of built as, I guess, Legos, unless there's some kind of copyright infringement there, in which case it's not Legos. It's something like Legos that's totally not Legos. Uh, you know, so you can just go grab those, you know, use the modules, do you know, do whatever you want with them. You don't have to be doing bioinformatics. Uh, and of course, I always appreciate likes and shares. I'm also e-begging on the internet lately because, you know, I, I guess that's where I'm at. I'm doing this as a bit of an experiment where I opened up sponsorship on GitHub um, for BioAnalyze. So if you're working at a company and maybe the company would like to, you know, throw some money in the tip jar, that is very greatly appreciated so that I can keep on keeping on this whole you know, building open source software and making it available to the public. If you're just an individual person, though, I don't really know how I feel about that. Uh, You know, just keep it to companies that can expense things. And uh, oh, last thing, I do have a newsletter. I promise this is the last one. It's on uh, bioanalyze.io. If just if you're interested and you want to keep up on a newsletter, you can go sign up for it over there. Great. And we'll have links to all these in the show notes, links to your, your social accounts, um, for anybody who doesn't have the time to look at the show notes, do you want to just shout out maybe your your Twitter handle or h- how to find you for anybody with a good memory? I think if you just search up Jillian Rowe Bioinformatics, I come up in quite a few places. Jillian spelt with a J and Rowe spelt with an E. Um, as far as I know, there's no other Jillian Rose in Bioinformatics that pop right up. I think I'm I'm Jillian Rowe or Jillian E. Rowe on Twitter, and I'm just Jillian Rowe on LinkedIn. Those are kind of the two main places that I hang out. I do also have a YouTube channel, Bioinformatics on AWS, which I am uh, trying to resurrect. I'm hoping once I get a couple more modules released and documentation really well done, that I'll be able to, you know, create more content for YouTube and, uh, you know, more tutorials, more more courses, maybe go do a course with FreeCodeCamp or something like that. So, yeah, so you can find me, find me on all the places. Really good. Thank you, Jillian, for coming on. Uh, Thank I've, you. I learned a lot about bioinformatics, genomics, and a few other terms. So thank you for uh, educating me and hopefully some of our audience. Thank you. I had a good time. We'll be in touch. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is copyright 2021 by Jonathan Hall. All rights reserved. Find me online at jhall.io. Theme music is performed by Riley Day.